You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. There's a very fine line between destruction and creation. In an instant, life can test you to choose one or the other. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. We're fortunate that our host, Audible is enriching lives. They are offering you, our storytellers, a free audiobook download of your choice, plus a one-month free trial of all of Audible service. And you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and take advantage of this wonderful gift. Remember that this show is enriched by our dialogue with you. So keep your comments and inspired thoughts coming. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. Today's guest was harshly tested more than once. He chose creation. He chose to live into an enriching story. He could have chosen a dark and destructive one. He's an author and a public speaker, a husband and a father of five beautiful daughters, a talented singer-songwriter, a gifted visual artist, and art therapist. He's also worked in third-world countries serving the poor and needy. His tough emotional journey has inspired him to write his first children's book called Seeds and Trees. I'm excited and honored to introduce you to Brandon Walden. Brandon, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here today. Let's have some fun, my friend. Where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, in the southeast United States. Okay. And who influenced you the most when you were a child? I'd say my two grandfathers. Um, you know, one of my grandfathers was a composer, uh, a musician, and my other grandfather was a visual artist. Uh, they were both businessmen and other things as well, but I think I got the artistic side of myself, the music and the art from both of them, mm. but also a lot of the character uh, and integrity and gentleness from them as well. Wonderful. And what did you dream of becoming when you were a kid? What did you dream of becoming when you grew up? You know, like most kids, I had uh, dreams of grandeur and, and changing the world and saving you know humanity and all kinds of amazing things, whether that be a firefighter or police officer or whatnot. But you know, as I grew up um, as a young child and, and growing up through middle school and high school, I had kind of a disinterest in schooling itself. I was more of an artist and kind of out there and that in that realm more often than not. But I really desired to do something that would help people. They drove me to a lot of humanitarian work and missions work overseas um, right out of high school. But you know, my real dream was to do anything and everything I could to kind of make the world a better place. Um, and I wanted to use art to do that. Mm. And um, as we will discover, you are doing that now. That's wonderful. Yeah. Now, what was the event or experience that powerfully impacted your life? You know, when I was six years old, um, I faced uh, what many children do these days. I was sexually abused for about two and a half or three years. Um, it was a secret in my life, honestly, that I held for nearly 25 years. I didn't tell a single soul until I was about 34 years old, just about five or six years ago. And um, yeah, that clearly greatly impacted me. It 
you know, there was lots of seeds, as I would say, that were sown in that process in my mind, in my heart, in my confidence. Um, and it, you know, it began to alter everything, the entire, the, the entire path in front of me. Wow. You held that secret for how many years from the age of? Nine years old till I was uh, 34. And uh, so 25 years. Uh, I didn't tell anybody, you know, the first person I spoke to about it, when he asked me, have you ever told anybody this? I said, I've never told anyone. And he said, define anyone. I said, not a single human being <laughs> and not even God. I hadn't even talked to God about it as far as I was concerned. Uh, so, yeah, so it was, it did, it did quite some damage in the process of, of, of hiding and holding that for so long. So can you talk a bit about how, how did it impede you, and how did it also contribute to your personal growth? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. You know, um, you know pain with purpose is different than just pain, um, but it often takes time to see the purpose in some of the pain uh, to turn hurt into healing. And so, you know, as a kind of wide-eyed dreamer, as a young boy, that's that's how I looked at life. I I felt like I was just going to conquer the world. Um, but when that sexual abuse began and, and the time that it lingered for those several years, uh, I noticed as it, it began to whittle away slowly but surely at my self-confidence. Um, you know, as I say, it was a seed of shame that was planted that I actually let grow. But I also watered it. You know, I didn't realize what I was watering at the time. I didn't realize when I would ponder worthlessness or fear or self-doubt or things of that sort that I was actually feeding those thoughts. And um, so as I began to grow up years and years and years later, I would often wonder, why do I feel so self-insecure you know, self, you know, here? And why am I doubting myself? Why am I self-sabotaging as a grown man? And, you know, it was essentially like fighting a battle with a wooden sword, Lewis, you know, um, that's kind of how I pictured it was I was living my life fighting against these enemies in my head and my heart that I had not the proper tools uh, to fight them with. Wow. That's very, very vivid um, language that you're using. And uh, I'm glad you are because it communicates some very powerful feelings. So uh, part of the question was, well, how... Did it contribute to your personal growth? Yeah, you know, about um, five years ago, when I first spoke up about this um, and said something to you, I was meeting with a life coach and, um, and had a real encounter. You know, it was kind of a marker moment for me as a man. Uh, my life was, on the outside looking in, seemed to be relatively well. I had a great job. I had you know, a wife and, and several children at the time. Uh, we had a beautiful family. We were living the dream. Um, but I was dying inside. I didn't really realize why. Um, but when I first spoke up and said what I did regarding the sexual abuse, and, and I knew, I knew that it was the thing, if you will, like if I reached all the way back to the core and dug all the way back down to the root, this was the thing that had affected every decision in my life. It had affected everything. And when I finally spoke up about it, it, it literally felt like a weight of, of a thousand pounds coming off of my chest. Um, ironically enough, and, and unbeknownst to me, as I spoke about it, I literally went into convulsions. My body began to shake and tremor and, and move without my control. Um, the gentleman that I was sitting with, I mean, God bless him. He, he got up and walked around the table, sat down beside me and, and literally held me almost like a baby as I was 34 years old, sobbing my eyes out. I had never actually allowed the pain to come out. And, um, you know, it began a journey of, that I'm still on, I quite frankly, but a, a real intensive journey over several years of reading everything I could read about inner healing, about, you know, heart stuff, mindsets. Uh, I've met with, you know, psychologists and therapists and life coach and prayer and everything else I could kind of throw at this thing to say, I'm, I'm done hurting. I want to actually do something with this. There's got to be a reason 
for this. Wow. What did that individual do or say that got you to suddenly reveal it for the first time after all those years? Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, we met one day. The first time I met this man, I was not really impressed. I, I was not a big fan of inner healing. I, I thought that stuff was all hype. Um, you know, people that talked about you know, motivational this, positive this. I just kind of turned a blind eye to it. I didn't think it would work for me. Um, and we were sitting one day and I was sharing my story with him. And in the midst of our story, he looked at me and he said, Brandon, I, I know exactly who you are. And I thought, you know, what an audacious thing to say. You just met me 15 minutes ago. I was really offended, quite frankly. And I looked at him and I said, you, you don't know who the hell I am. You, you've never met me before. You, you can't, there's no way you know me. And he said, I know exactly who you are. And he said it again with intensity. And I, I was just so put off by it. And I said, okay, well, if you think you know who I am, then, then tell me who I am. And he said, I have one question for you. And I said, okay, what's your question? You know, thinking as if I was going to be able to answer this. And he said, Brandon, when are you ever going to be good enough? And man, when he asked me that, I, I, it pierced my soul. I, I just, I just began to cry at the table like a baby. And I thought, this is, this is strange. What is happening to me right now? How did this guy and me telling my story realize that I had such a grand need for approval? And I, I didn't realize that's what I was showing. And, yeah, the following week in our follow-up session, after a, a, an issue with work, my, I got demoted the following week after talking to this man for the first time. Um, I went and sat with him, and, and I, don't, I truly don't know what it was other than just one of those kind of divine moments, Lewis, where you just know that everything in life is pointing to this key moment for you. And I felt I had this whisper in my head, my heart, call it God or, or whatever someone else might attribute it to, but I just felt these, this phrase go through my head that this man is here to help you. And, and I suddenly trusted him. I, I don't know why. But when I looked at him and said what I did, um, it was like I couldn't have imagined a better person to tell. He was so fathering in that moment. Um, I, I felt seen. I felt accepted. I didn't feel judged. I felt loved. Um, I felt compassion for myself. For the first time ever, it was, it was, it was truly a monumental moment for me, honestly. And you were speaking to him because um, your employer at the time had brought in this coach for uh, the employees, correct? Yeah, the company I worked for had hired this life coach for all the executives. I was the vice president of sales at this company at the time, and so all there was about six of us that met with this uh, gentleman once a week. Uh, for about an hour each company paid for it. It was kind of a wellness thing, but also it would help us be more productive. Um, but the gentleman that was my direct report to, um, who was above me, he and I did not really see real well together. We didn't agree much. Um, he really, uh, had a completely different management style than I did and was you know, very demeaning in the way that he managed people. It was one of these, if I talk down to you, somehow that'll motivate you to do better. Um, that was his style. And so the first week I met with this gentleman, Jeff, the life coach, um, and opened up a little bit. I didn't share the story with him yet. He had me fill out a paper, Lewis. It was this crazy scenario where I, I answered a lot of questions about my life, what I'd gone through. But I honestly didn't trust him yet, and I didn't feel like the things that he was asking were any of his business. So I lied on a lot of the answers, which I'm a, I'm a fairly honest person. I, don't, I, I can't remember a time in my life where I've had a time, had trouble telling the truth, but I, I just began to lie on these answers. I just thought I'm not going to tell him. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve to know that the following week I was demoted, uh, kind of through a, a weird situation where the, my boss was just trying to humiliate me publicly. And I just sat there through the, the whole process. I didn't defend myself. I didn't speak up. I didn't, didn't say he was wrong for doing what he was doing. It was all, you know, baseless accusations and, and there was no merit to it. Um, I walked out of that meeting and my first thought when I left the office was, oh, this is what happens when I lie. I, mean, I deserve this. Somehow I, I, I've done this. <laughs> I've created this situation and this is my fault. And when I thought that, 
something in me thought, that's crazy. That doesn't even make any sense. This guy's just a jerk. And, and I didn't do anything to deserve this. But I, I wasn't willing to believe that. I just went down this road of, you know, man, this must be how my life is. I'm, I'm doomed. And it was during that time that I called Jeff, um, kind of for an emergency call. And I said, man, I don't know if we can meet earlier this week or not, but I, I really need to meet you before Thursday, uh, which was our scheduled time. And he was actually coming into town the next day. And so we met, um, privately and that's when I told him and, mm. uh, it was, it was, a, it was a poignant moment. And, you know, I think, you know, I, my attention was fully at that time on something else is going on here. <laughs> something deeper is at play in my heart. And, uh, I'm glad I'm glad he was there at that time. What I find fascinating is the fact that this boss, who was a person you didn't like and who didn't treat people well, in a weird way, was actually giving you a gift by treating you like that because it triggered you into yeah. into reaching out to this other man. And... You know, it makes me think of something I learned in a powerful course that I took. Everything happens for a reason, and that reason is there to serve me. Yeah, certainly. Wow. Yeah, it, it you know, gratitude is an interesting thing. Um, when we find ourselves grateful for pain and grateful for, tri for trials or difficulties or things that we, adversities that we face, um, it you can then receive something more from it when you're when you receive it with gratitude mm. and yeah I, i've actually looked back on the situation and and spoke of this gentleman that that was my boss at the time and thought you know i'm i'm really glad he was such a jerk because <laughs> i wouldn't be where i am without that you're absolutely right mm. wow now what did one of your children eventually reveal to you that has helped shape who you are today yeah you know um Lewis, about two and a half years into this journey of um, my own kind of heart healing um, and working through you know, the emotions of that, kind of pulling out um, all the lies, um, I'd started to make some progress. You know, I was, I was sort of getting on the other side of all the shame and all the fear and all the worthlessness with internally. And my mindsets were starting to change. I was starting to believe lots of great things about myself again and, and have hope again. And uh, it was during that time on a holiday that one of our children came to us and um, to my wife and I and shared an accusation of sexual abuse um, against someone you know, near and dear to our family. And in the process of that um, story coming to us, I mean, obviously there's initial pain and shock and um and hate and rage and betrayal and all the things you think um and and all that was there and i, I don't want to diminish that or belittle that all of those thoughts and all of those floods of emotions of, of deep sadness and uh and anger it was all there and it all came you know rushing like a flood um and and it was it was overwhelming quite frankly we didn't really know what to do you know, it's not the stuff that they hand you at the handbook at the, you know, at the hospital and they give you the baby. These are the, the life lessons that you don't ever want to learn. Um, but it was a strange thing to say this, Lewis, and, and to reference back to gratitude. I, I sat with my wife a couple of days after our daughter came to us and, and we were just discussing how are we going to make through this? How are we, how are we going to hold her heart well? How are we going to care for her and champion her and, and how are we going to deal with the situation with these people and, and, and all the, the ricochet, you know, that was going to occur. And I, I said to my wife, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that, that this happened. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I, I'm so grateful that I can look back over my own life now and I can actually say to my daughter with true empathy, with the heart of a father, that I know what you're going through. I know how you feel. It's not your fault. All the things that I had wished I had heard as a young boy, things that I never had the opportunity to say because I never went to my parents at my daughter's age. And, you know, in retrospect, now looking back, 
all of the sleepless nights that I had spent crying myself to sleep and staring at the ceiling, all the anxiety I felt, all of the, the thoughts of depression and anxiety as a teenager. And I, I could now look and say, okay, my pain now has a purpose. I can now actually walk my daughter through her healing. I can, I can be there for her in a way that I didn't have that support. Um, and so it, you know, it, it was a, it was a extremely painful process. Uh, obviously, um, we are statistically an American family in the sense that one of our five daughters has been sexually abused. Um, you know, statistically, that's a statistic in America of, of young girls by the age of 13 that one of them out of five has been sexually abused. And unfortunately, that's the case in our own home. Wow, and I despite, mm. yeah, despite all of our efforts to protect and to guard and to nurture, and you know, it still happened. And um, so it's, yeah, it's brutal, but we, we have found our way through it. We're, we're still working through it. Um, my, my daughter is doing amazing. Um, she is, she is seeing purpose even in her own life through it, uh, in a way that I wouldn't be able to articulate or teach. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for it, but it's, it's also the most painful thing we've ever walked through. Now, this was a person, uh, the perpetrator, someone that your family knew well and share with us what you did. I mean, how did you actually deal with it when you found out? Yeah, you know, for um, for purposes of, of disclosure and confidence and stuff, I, I'm, I'm not going to disclose who it was, but I, I would say that um, it was one of these scenarios where it, it was not it, it was it was not what you would have expected. And, you know, it's, it's always a shock. But, you know, with our family, what we what we did as a, as a husband and wife, my wife and I, we decided um, that the most important thing was for us to protect our daughter and to you know, to champion her heart. And, and that, that word champion kept coming to me because I felt like I had always lacked a champion in my own life. Um, someone that was going to fight for my heart and for my healing and to protect me. And so in this, in this scenario, we basically said, you know, it doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter what anyone thinks, how anybody views the way we're going to walk through this. We're going to do the best that we can to love our daughter and put her first. And it cost a lot. It cost a lot of relationships and it was extremely painful, uh, for people to not understand why we wouldn't do certain things or, or go to certain activities or, why we would, in a sense, bail on plans at times, but everything at that time was, we're we're gonna we're gonna provide a safe place for our child, and um, if it means looking like loners to some extent, which we did probably for a little while, um, we knew that our home was safe, and so we we kind of locked the door, if you will, um, for a season, and it's it was quite frankly, in retrospect, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, I, I wish things had been easier and we had been able to connect with other people in the process, but there were very few people that we could talk to about this uh, because of the, the people that were involved. And um, so a lot of it, we walked through alone. We had some support from some friends um, and some people overseas that, that helped us through it. But um, I, Lewis, I, I truly, I'd say I would not wish this on, on my worst enemy. Um, you know, it's it's the last thing as a father of daughters that you ever want to face is to see your your daughter go through something like this. Mm. Um, it, it's it, it's extremely painful, and mm. Mm. you know, and there's residual effects. Uh, you know, we we're people of faith. We we pray and hope that you know true healing will will kind of fulfill that whole thing and 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 fill every void and every hole and every crack. Um, but you know, it's these are, these are scars that are going to be there. And, um, and, you know, I think scars tell stories and so it's okay. Um, but you just don't want your children to walk through those kinds of things and get those kinds of scars. Mm -hmm. Now, can you describe how you confronted the individual? Yeah, it was a situation where we, we went, um, you know, with another trusted you know, advisor, a, a, a person that I really cared about, we sat uh, together and and spoke of the situation. And this person was there basically as a mediator. 
which was a which was a gift to me. Um, you know, someone that that both of us knew and respected, um, and and he was able to just sort of bring some balance to the conversation. It was obviously a, an emotional moment um, for me, and um, but but you know the the truth of the matter is is it you know as difficult as it was, and again I don't want to belittle this. It there was there was so much grace in this season um, to to just kind of say like almost like there's these seven steps we've got to walk through or these 12 steps we got to take to get to this point of like, now we can start working on healing. And it, I, I honestly couldn't tell you what a lot of those steps were in the process because we, we were so numb um, and, you know, fully awake, but also kind of felt like we were mindlessly sleepwalking through some of this, you know, I can't tell you a lot about the conversation quite frankly, because I don't remember a lot of it. It was, it was a hard moment that, you know, your, your body just kind of goes into autopilot and these are the things I need to say. These are things I need to ask. And, and I'm going to listen to your answers and, and whether you're lying or telling the truth in, in a sense, it didn't really matter. Um, at that moment for me, it was most important that I was there as a spokesperson for my child's heart and that I was to tell the truth. And I knew that what my daughter was saying was true. There was no way that she would have made up what she was saying. Um, so as we went through story and, and, and denials or whatever came in response, it, it, it wasn't that I deflected it. It was almost as if it was deflected by default. There was just this thing around me almost to protect me, I think, in a way, just to say, I'm, I'm here just to deliver this message, to tell the truth and to tell you what we're going to do as a result. And, um, and here we are, you know, three years later and, um, and in a lot of ways, um, lots of things haven't changed. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, a phrase in our, uh, in my, in my house, my wife and I talk about the difference between restoration, um, of a relationship and reconciliation of a, of a relationship and reconciling, you know, as adults with adults with something like this is one thing. There's, there was something in my daughter's disclosure legally that when she said it, it actually kind of threw the, the legal case into a tailspin. Um, she had mentioned that, you know, several of her sisters were there that weren't actually even born at the time. And without getting too deep into psychology and the, and the, the patterns, there was a, there was a protection mechanism going on in her when she spoke about the scenario. Uh, she wasn't able to identify or to say at the moment that she was all alone. As a result, um, that was effectively a lie. And, and so it, it, it was brought up, um, you know, in the, in the process of going through court and all these other things that we were pursuing, um, because of that's just how the state deals with it. And the state came to my wife and I basically said, Hey, um, there's a missing piece here that uh, the only way to fix this is in testimony to put your child on the witness stand. And my wife and I said, absolutely not. There's no way in the world we're going to have her live through this in court and in, in a public setting. And so we declined to pursue the, the thing any further at that time because it was going to jeopardize the case. And we just didn't want to go through that with our child. You know, in retrospect, um, you know, I, I believe ultimately that God is the one that deals with people. I, I genuinely think that that's the case. Um, we've placed the whole situation in God's hands and we, we trust that he's going to kind of bring things to light and do things as he, as he wishes. And that's a place of great trust for us. It was also a place where we had to express to our daughter that, um, you know, justice is, is different. <laughs> justice is, is obscure sometimes. And justice isn't always what we think justice is. And what was most important was for us to work on our hearts and on our healing and learn to, uh, to forgive and, and to not so much, you know, so that, um, that the person was forgiven as much as it was. You know, there's a, there's a great quote about forgiveness that says, you know, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to realize that the prisoner was you. Um, mm. you know, we, we often think that, oh, I'm bestowing forgiveness upon this person. And what we're actually doing is freeing ourselves from being in bondage to that situation 
that's holding us in conflict. And so you know, even as a child, we've, we've been talking you know, slowly but surely with my daughter about what does forgiveness look like? What would it mean to actually forgive this person? And, and at what time is it appropriate to ever have a conversation about that? You know, later in life, it's not something we would do anytime soon just because my children are so young. Um, but, but I can say, you know, as God is my witness, Lewis, our, our family has forgiven the individual and we've worked, um, our best to live our life with the heart that's clear. Um, regarding that, we don't understand all the things. We don't understand all the details. We don't know how it's all going to work out. Um, but it's irrelevant. The most important thing is that our hearts are, are clear and that we're not being held captive uh, by the situation anymore. There's a very powerful book called Radical Forgiveness by Colin Tipping mm. that that delves deeply into what you just said. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's profound and it's transformative. And I began this show by saying there's a very fine line between destruction and creation. Yeah, And I want to bring this back uh, to my storytellers right now, that what you and your family experience could have led to something violent. I mean, hmm. these are the kinds of things that movies are made about. Yeah. The father discovers that this has been done to his daughter. He goes and gets a gun. He finds the individual and he blows him away. Now, you know, that has happened, not just in the movies, it's happened in life. And that would have been tragic, and it would have been a destructive outcome. You chose the more difficult to grow above it, to reach into your higher self for the benefit of your child and the benefit of your spirit. And that is an amazing uh, lesson, and I'm so glad that you're sharing it with our listeners. So, can you elaborate more on how all of this, this pain, has contributed to your growth? Yeah, you know, um, as I said, I, I began a kind of an avid studier of the heart and reading everything I could, studying and, and watching videos and going to anything I could that would help bring healing in my own heart. But in the process, you know, as a father, it's, it's interesting. You know, we want, we always want to lead parents. We're natural teachers and we, we often stay in teach mode too long. You know, I, I say that in the sense of there's so much we can learn from our children and there's so much we can learn by becoming more childlike. Um, I, I've spent the past several years, obviously in writing the children's book, I, I never intended to write a children's book. It wasn't my thought. It wasn't my ambition or my plan. Um, but as I was a writer and I'd written songs for years and poems and things of that sort, um, in my own journey, I sat with my wife one day and I said, Hey, I, this phrase just came to mind, you know, seeds and trees. And she was like, what, you know, what, what is that about? I said, I, I think there's like a poem or a story here about the heart, you know, and, and our, and our seeds, the, our words are seeds and we started to discuss this and they grow into these trees. And, you know, so it, it began this pattern to where over the past couple of years of writing and studying and I'll sit down with my children and often talk to them about the words that we use and the things that, you know, if we make a mistake, if we lash out in anger or raise our voice or something, I'm often talking to my daughter saying, Hey, I'm really sorry. That was daddy gave you a bad seed that that wasn't a seed that I should have given you. And, I want to take that one back and I'll give you a different seed in place of it. Because as a child, you know, I didn't realize in the formative years of my life and my young adolescent years and growing up into being a teenager, the seeds that were being planted in my mind, some from outside individuals and some just in my own head, Lewis, those seeds, I was watering all of them. I was watering the good seeds and the bad seeds. Um, I wasn't really told how to discern what those good seeds were and what those bad seeds were. So I kind of planted them side by side figuratively. And that's, it's effectively what happens in the story. Um, it, it's the story is really like my life story, cleverly disguised as a children's book. <laughs> and um, it's a story I think we can all relate to because all of us have been impacted by words. And um, you know, that's 
by by actions, by things that have happened to us, and we use those we use words to describe those things and those emotions. So, you know, my journey has been uh, a journey of watching my children, of of seeing how they deal with things, how children have an ability. You know, they build a tower and it falls down, and they don't say, "Oh, I'm such a failure. I'm never going to build a tower again." <laughs> they quickly grab the pieces and they put it back together. And that's something I think as adults we could often learn from our children with. Um, their resilience, their kind of natural ability to to keep moving forward and keep trying. Um, I had kind of given up on my heart, Lewis. You know, I, my, one of my daughters asked me something really profound. Um, I was reading the story. I'd started to write and frame most of the story, and I would kind of ad-lib bits that I hadn't finished you know, fleshing out in the words yet. And I was telling uh, two of my children the story, my two oldest. And at the end of telling them the story, when it was you know, first being written, my second daughter, who was Elle, and at the time she was about six years old, she looked at me and she asked me the most profound question. She said, Daddy, what were you like when you were my age? And I thought, well, that's really interesting. Like, and here I was at 36, 37, and she wanted to know what I was like you know, 30 years ago. And... And I, I started right prior to the sexual abuse. And I told her, I said, sweetheart, when I was your age, I used to think I could conquer the world. There was nothing that could stop me. I was going to save the world. I was going to be a, a famous rock star. I was going to be a famous this. And I was going to travel the world and do good things. And, and she said, really? That's, Daddy, that's so cool. And she's like, well, what, well what, what, what next? And I said, well, when I was about you know, your older sister's age, I started to doubt those things. I started to think that maybe I wasn't so special and maybe I wasn't going to do as much as I really had hoped. And by the time I was a teenager, I, I really started to doubt it. And I, every once in a while, I would have a thought and I'd have kind of a dream, but then I'd second guess it. And by the time I was graduating high school, I really thought, man, I, I don't know if I could even really do half the things I always used to think, but why are these thoughts still there? So in my head and in my heart, there were these dreams, these good seeds that were still there, but they were slowly dying. The, you know, the root system of the soil of my heart, if you will, was being choked and changed and, and, and poisoned. And I didn't realize it. But when I, I looked at my daughter and said, sweetie, when your mommy and I got married, by the time I was 25, I had effectively given up that, that I was ever going to be anything really special. I just figured, well, I'll just be a husband and a father and, and an entrepreneur and I'll just do my thing. And, and she said to me the, the craziest follow-up question. She said, Daddy, what do you think now? And luckily when she asked that, I had already kind of gone the other side of this stuff, Lewis. And I looked at my daughter and said, Daddy's going to change the world. And she said, really? And I said, yes, yeah, sweetie. Daddy's going to change the world. Daddy's writing this book and I believe that I'm going to go travel around and tell people how to get healed and whole, and I'm going to help families with their children. And and I just began to just speak what I believe my future is. And as I was saying these things, partially for my own self, my daughter was lighting up. You could just see her, like, so excited and honestly so proud. And um, so my children have been a huge part of my journey, of my journey of healing and even kind of my future, where, where things are headed and what I believe I'm, I'm, I'm here for and what I'm meant to do. This is one of the most powerful examples of what is at the heart of my show, of mm. changing one's story and changing one's life. I mean, everything you're talking about, the fact that words, which are basically stories, and they when we combine them, they form more complex stories. They shape our view of the world and of ourselves. And yeah. you have confronted this head on. And the beauty of it is that through all of it, this has led you to discover your higher purpose in life. I mean, this is very powerful stuff. So yeah. talk to us about the treasure tree. What is the treasure tree? Yeah, you know, the Treasured Tree is a company that my wife and I started um, really as a kind of a collaborative uh, group. We, we've got other people that, that I believe are, are meant to be a part of it. So we, we started it with the mindset of it's not just our family thing, um, but there might be other people as time comes on that kind of come in and, 
and take a part and bring a piece, you know, have a story and they need, you know, maybe help finding a platform for that or whatever it may be. So, yeah, ultimately that's the bigger, broader vision. But really what we want to do is to create content um, that parents can use, that teachers can use, therapists can use uh, to engage with children in their hearts. You know, the, the story seeds in trees, which everything kind of comes back to trees with in our, in our imagery, you know, with roots and, and trees and leaves and things of that sort. Um, but the story I wrote seeds and trees, I, I was on a plane on the way back from Chicago from a business trip one day. And, and I, I had, I had my, my manuscript out. I was working on some of the, the words in, in this, the story. And I didn't realize the lady beside me was a psychotherapist, a real, real sweet lady. Um, as she saw me working, she said, Hey, are you, are you writing something? Are you working on business? I said, well, it's, it's actually this, this children's book I'm writing. And she said, you, you work with children. I said, well, yeah, I'm a father, but I'm, I'm also writing this book. And, and it's about you know, words and the power of words and inner healing and things. And she said, well, could I read it? And I said, well, certainly. Yeah. And I said, um, and who are you? <laughs> it was kind of a strange thing for me. I didn't know. And she was, Oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm actually a psychotherapist. I, I work with children that have been sexually abused and verbally abused. And, and I work with young adolescents and toddlers. And, and I thought, oh, man, this would be a, a great test to see if the, the story has any merit. You know, it's, it's my story. But it was, it was a very vulnerable moment <laughs> to sort of pass the, the text over to her. But as we were done, she looked at me and she said, Brandon, where did you get your training? And I, I said, what, what training? She says, you know, where, where did you get this kind of idea from, this knowledge from and whatever? And I said, uh, you know, really, I'm, I'm just a father. I'm, I went through something in my own life and then walked through something with my child. And she said, but, but you don't have training in therapy. And the, I'm like, no, no, not really. I just, I mean, I read a lot, but I'm not, I'm, I've never gone to school for these things. And she looked at me and she said, well, that might make, that might be what makes this story so profound is, you're writing from a father's perspective and from someone who's actually endured the pain and has overcome it. She said, you know, as a, as a psychotherapist, we often get so uh, pragmatic in our, like the rote decisions and, and we have to do these different therapies to find, you know, a child to find healing. We don't usually get to be really creative with it. And what you've just done is created a resource that I could use in my practice. And just the language alone, seeds and trees is something I can, I could use for the rest of my career. And I didn't realize it. You know, I was like, wow, there, maybe there is something to this. So really our heart ultimately is not that we're so special. We're going to be able to create these things that are going to be powerful. But I, in that moment and with other parents, with school teachers, you know, we've, we've got a teacher that's helping us create, create a curriculum uh, for public schools based on the, on the text of the book um, that we want to launch, you know, nationwide throughout you know, the U S and, um, you know, our hope really, Lewis, is to the treasure tree to be this entity that parents and teachers and therapists can come to and find resources that are practical, that will bring healing to children, you know, and open conversations uh, like the one my daughter had with me. Wow. It's magical what you're saying. I mean, mm -hmm. even, even this event of you were on a plane, right? And this person just happened to be sitting next to you and <laughs> exactly. she and she just happened to be a psychotherapist and she just happened to work with people who had been sexually abused uh-huh yeah. there are no accidents exactly if you could wave a magic wand and change just one thing in the world what would it be hmm. that's a really good question um I, you know, I, I, I could think about this for days, but I think, I think I would change the way that parents speak to children. Um, you know, we, we all know inherently the power of words. We know that it's not nice to say not nice things, but I don't think that we're as fully aware of the impact of our words and sometimes, uh, as fully aware as the impact of a lack of words. You know, we assume as parents that our children know that we love them, uh, but we, we don't often communicate what we like about them. And, you know, so there's, there's this thing that I think children are going through where in some 
families, they almost feel like an inconvenience. You know, I've talked to parents of young children at times where I hear them basically complain that they're parents to some effect. You know, like, I can't do this. I can't go here. I can't, you know, my, like my kids are holding me down or restricting me. And, you know, we consider it an honor to, to be raising our daughters. Um, but we've realized at times, you know, I asked my children one day, I, you know, several of my oldest, my three oldest, I asked them one day, has daddy ever said anything to you that's hurt your feelings? And between you and I, I knew the answer would be yes, if they would be honest, because I knew I'd hurt them at times. I just wanted to hear what they would say. And my oldest daughter said, oh, you know, daddy, sometimes whenever you, you raise your voice, it's, it hurts my feelings. It makes me sad. And she didn't say anything specific, but just the raising of my voice, the tone of my voice caused, caused her to have hurt feelings. My second daughter, who's a really tender-hearted young girl, she she said something that just rocked me, Lewis. She said, Daddy, I don't think you've ever really said anything mean to me, um, but sometimes you look really frustrated and your face kind of makes me scared. Mm. And I thought, wow, just the scowl on my face, just a, a look of disdain or frustration or anger without even verbalizing it. It's communicating something to my child. So I, I have a heightened sense of awareness about this, partially because of the work I'm doing and what I'm writing. But I think as parents, we are kind of blasé to it sometimes. We're just going through the, the motions of raising our kids and not thinking, you know, man, our, our, I just lashed out at my kid and I didn't even apologize. You know, it's almost, you know, the children to be seen and not heard. And we, we say those kinds of things. It's like, no, children are to be seen and heard. We, we want our kids to, to feel and to sense and to know that they're loved and affirmed and, and, and basically filled in their hearts with, with good things. So, you know, simply put, I just wish, I wish more parents did that, um, that, we, that we take more time, that we be careful with our words. And I know that people listening to this will take everything you're saying deeply to heart. Now, where do you envision yourself in the next five years? Hmm. You know, the, the funny answer to that, if you asked my children, my children would say that daddy's going to be on Oprah or on some famous show speaking about this. My, my children uh, have some great dreams of grandeur uh, for me to become famous and, and things of that sort. And, it, and it's ironic, honestly. As a child, I used to actually want to be. I, I dreamed of being famous for some reason. And I think lots of kids do, you know, uh, be a rock star, movie star, whatever it may be. Um, I can't think of anything more uh, noteworthy and noble to desire to become famous for than to being someone who's known to help children find healing, help parents work stuff through with their children. Um, and, and so for that reason, honestly, in five years, I hope that my name is a household name. Um, I hope that my work is a household, you know, name that the children all over the world have read and heard Seeds and Trees and the other books I'm working on. Um, not for my own gain, but because I believe the stuff that we're writing really does have the power to impact lives. And I want to see it impact as many lives as possible. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll still be writing. I'll still be speaking. Um, I'll still be loving my daughters and, and my wife. Um, but hopefully um, the world has heard this message by then. Well, you know, certainly when your daughters talk about seeing you on Oprah, uh, I don't I don't interpret that as just, oh, you know, a kid's delusions of grandeur, but something that very well could happen and it wouldn't be a question of oh that's brendan becoming famous although you would become famous but it's more that oprah's platform is the perfect platform to uh, bring this message important message to the world i could yeah. see it i could see it happening yeah i wouldn't I be appreciate it wouldn't be surprised in the least. So besides Seeds and Trees, what is your favorite book? You know, it uh, it might sound cliche, 
but but honestly, I would I would say the Bible. It's the book that I've read the most in my life, and it's the book that's probably made the most impact on me. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 fascinating. There's a there's an old quote I remember hearing years ago that said that uh, the Bible is uh, easy enough for a child to understand, but too difficult for a scholar to master. And mm. you know, my my life. And my aim right now is to become more childlike. Um, and so when I read text in the Bible, I, I look at it through the lens of a, of a kid. If my brain starts going into high gear, I kind of throttle it back a bit, you know, uh, and think, no, what, what would my kid think about what this is saying right now? And, and life lessons of, of loving your enemies and forgiving and, and, and having hope and, and doing good for one another. All of those things are found in the roots of that, that text. There's, of course, all kinds of other things that people can debate and, and theologies and, and decide this or that, but I don't spend a lot of time there. Um, I kind of consider the basics, you know, love, love your neighbor as yourself, you know, those types of phrases. So I've, I've got several stories, uh, from the Bible that are kind of like my favorite stories. Um, and, and that's where I linger. Um, I'm, I don't really have a desire to become a scholar, uh, of, of any text. Really. I, I just want to remain a student and, um, and continue to grow and to, to continue to learn. But that's, that's the book that's made the most impact for sure. Listen, there's nothing cliche about that at all. I mean, it's, it's, um, and it's authentic to you and, um, the things you're saying, um, make absolute sense. Yeah. Do you have a favorite quote? Yeah, you know, one of, uh, there's a quote, I, I, I used to have this at the bottom of my email um, as a kind of a reminder whenever I would send messages. Yeah, I met a gentleman that uh, does business as mission kind of work, uh, double bottom line business stuff where they're doing a lot of social good. And I spent spent some time with him years and years ago. And we were talking and our, our visions were very similar. Um, and the sense of what we wanted to do and how, how we wanted to impact humanity. And I asked him this question. I said, you know, his name's Thomas. And I said, Thomas, you know, what, what quote do you live by? Like, what's your motto? What's your life motto? And to be honest with you, at the time, I didn't really have one. I didn't have a phrase that I could wrap my head around and say, this is branded. This is what I believe. This is who I am. This is how I live. And so I asked Thomas, and he said, oh, it's simple, Brandon. To live, to leave every person, place, and circumstance better than I found it. And when he said that, it it rang so true with me to think, "Wow, what what better aim? <laughs> like that's that's about as simple and direct and straightforward as you could be. Uh, to leave every person, place, and circumstance better than you found it. Um, you know, that's that's kind of my my motto, my mantra, my daily message to myself is." That's the life I want to live. And, and I've got a quote. It's my, it's a friend, Thomas Powell, uh, who said it and coined that phrase years ago. So, uh, that's probably the most, you know, most impactful quote for me. I love it. Thomas Powell, P-O-W-E-L-L. Yep. How can people contact you? And I'm sure that people, many people will want to. Um, you know, our, the easiest way is going to be through our website. Um, you know, that's the treasuredtree.com and treasure is with a D, so treasured. Um, sometimes people hear it incorrectly, but it's the treasuredtree.com. Uh, we're also on, you know, social media and, you know, Facebook. We've got a, a Facebook page, um, that's just treasured tree media, um, on Facebook or on Instagram if people are into that. Uh, we post a lot of pictures and uh, and clips and stuff from the uh, from the book. That's just my name at Brandon Walden. Um, those are the you know Google search and all those other things. But those would those should get get you to us pretty quickly. And Brandon is B R A N D O N. It's W A L D E N. Yes, it is. Hmm. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have? I don't think so, Lewis. You're uh, you're pretty good at this, man. I'm sure people already know that by listening to you. Um, no, I, I I don't think so. This is uh, 
this is who I am. You've, you've done a good, a good job of pulling it out of me and, and hearing, uh, hearing kind of from, from beginning to end. Thank you. Any final thoughts for our storytellers today? You know, there's, uh, there's a phrase that I, I started saying, um, after writing this book, it's not actually in the book. It's not a quote from the book, but it's kind of become the motto of the treasured tree, which is be careful what you water because it will surely grow. Mm. It's, it's, it's this phrase that every time I say it, it makes me think about my words. It makes me think about the things that I think on, the things I speak to others, friends, coworkers, people in a gas station or a coffee house, my wife, my children. And it's becoming something that as I say it and as I speak it more often, um, you know, my children take notice to it and they're, you know, they're starting to be careful with their words. They're starting to kind of watch the seeds that they give uh, to one another. So, you know, really that's my, if I had any final thought, it's that I could leave anybody with. If anything I say is ever making an impact, it would be that phrase that to be careful what we water because it will surely grow. That's in our own lives and in the lives of those that we impact around us. What a beautiful way to bring this conversation to a close. And, you know, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I want to say to the storytellers, you know, the value that Brandon has delivered today, if we, is priceless. And here he is putting it out into the world to enrich you, to help you heal. And I'm sure all of us could benefit from some degree of healing. And he's giving it as a gift. It's absolutely free. Thank you again, Brandon. Thank you. Mm, absolutely. It's an honor to be here with you, Lewis. Thank you, storytellers, for spending this very special time today with me and Brandon Walden. You know, despite the fact that I have a gift with words, there are interviews like this one that almost leave me speechless. Okay. Almost. But I mean that, really, because the depth, the wisdom, the huge spirit that Brendan shared with us today is something special. And it is something that I'm grateful to have, to have been touched by it. And I'm sure that many of you feel the exact same way. Definitely remind people, pay this forward. Let them know that they can hear this on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. Of course, at the website, there's a free gift waiting for you, a downloadable ebook that I created just for you entitled Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. Remember to go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and choose an enriching audiobook of your choice from more than 180,000 titles downloaded for free and then allow it to help you grow. Also get access to all of Audible service for free for an entire month. Because you listen to this podcast, Brendan left us with so many gems to think about. The thing that I want to impress upon you the most, the thing that I, I believe that many of you will take away and that certainly it's, you should devote time to during the next week is to think about the topic of forgiveness. I'm willing to bet that all of us have someone, at least one person, to forgive in our lives. We may have even forgotten about the event that hurt us. We may even have buried the memories of the people who hurt us and are not even conscious of them now. But if we do some soul searching, we will discover them. We will get in touch with the 
pain that we felt originally. Have the courage to do that, and then to forgive, not for the person or people who hurt you, but to free yourselves, to allow yourself the grace and give yourself the gift of being able to step into a higher sense of who you are, into a deeper sense of your worth, and to feel more at peace. Begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.